Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. We have been in the midst of a season called You Asked For It. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about who we are in Christ, and we talked last week about a book by A.W. Tozer called The Knowledge of the Holy. Uh, today we're going to switch gears just a little bit. In our culture, we are given a single day uh, to celebrate thankfulness, a single day of the year. And uh, most of you are aware by now, if you go into Home Depot in the middle of October, they're getting the Christmas stuff out because uh, we celebrate Christmas for about two and a half, three months, which would be great if it were a celebration of Jesus Christ, but what it has become is a celebration of presence. Uh, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get it back, church. Amen? Yeah. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about thankfulness. Uh, I just want to uh, remind you, uh, since we're only given that one day, even Thanksgiving has become less and less about being thankful and more and more about food, uh, which I like food. So. Um, but when we come to a year like this, uh, and, and there is this chaos all around us, there is political chaos, there is uh, what's happening with the coronavirus. Kids are doing school from home, which is just... Uh, crazy uh, and more chaos, and then you have the holidays approaching. What happens uh, in the midst of this is uh, Thanksgiving uh, becomes uh, just more of a holiday to get through, especially this year, because you're just kind of wanting to get 2020 over with and hope for better things in 2021. But what I want to talk about, talk about is thankfulness, uh, not because of Thanksgiving, but because uh, thankfulness is a, it's a cornerstone of our faith. It is actually foundational to the Christian faith. And you say, Pastor, you're exaggerating a little bit. Actually, I'm not. Uh, thankfulness is a cornerstone of our faith. If you look at the Jewish faith hundreds of years before Christ, uh, the way that, uh, that things were set up was this, uh, this whole sacrificial system. Uh, and this was the way that the people found favor with God. It was the way that the people responded to God was through offering sacrifices. And if you looked into it, there were tons of them. There were uh, blood offerings and there were burnt offerings. Uh, there were sin offerings and peace offerings and grain offerings. Uh, but if you look at Leviticus chapter 7, it talked about an expression of thanksgiving and it called it a thank offering, an offering of thanks. It was actually uh, commanded by God that the people would set aside these offerings of thanksgiving. Uh, so when we talk about thanksgiving, it's not because of the pilgrims. Uh, it's because actually this was foundational to our faith, literally. But what happens as we transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament is Jesus says, does something uh, that he actually did all the time which was the elevated principles of the Old Testament. He would raise the bar on what uh, they said in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, for instance, with the idea of, of love itself, when uh, Jesus in John chapter 13, he said this, uh, he said, A new command I give you, to love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. Uh, if you want to keep that on the screen, Silas, um, loving one another was not a new command, church. Uh, if you looked in Leviticus chapter 19, God commanded the people to love one another way back in the Old Testament. So why is it that Jesus here says, a new command I give you to love one another? I was thinking about uh, a family member I have uh, that uh, uh, years ago, she was with a friend, only a few years ago, and, and something happened and she said, you go girl. And I said, you... <laughs> 
We don't say that anymore. We don't say that. She said, I thought I made it up. It's, I said, you didn't make that up. No, you are crazy. And I look at this and I say, Jesus, what do you mean this is a new command? You didn't make this up. It's hundreds of years old back in Leviticus. But the moment that Jesus says those words, as I have loved you, in that moment, it becomes a new command. Because up until Christ, loving one another meant something completely different because there was no such thing as agape love. There was no such thing as the love of Christ. So what Jesus has done is he has taken this command in the Old Testament of love one another and he's raised the bar. He, he's, he's elevated it to a new, uh, new level altogether. Uh, he does it again later uh, when he talks about abundant life. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, people lived in this pattern of life. The pattern looked like this. You walk with God. You stray from God, you fall into sin, you come under judgment, and you return to God. And then you, you continue that cycle for your entire life for generations. You walk with God, you stray from God, you sin against God, you, you come under the judgment of God, you repent, and then you're walking with Him. And it's this cycle. But when Jesus came, what He did was He, he said, It is for freedom that I have set you free. He actually sets us free and gives us abundant life so we don't have to live in this cycle of sin uh, like a dog returning to its vomit anymore. We can live in freedom under Christ. He is raising the bar. And I remember in college, uh, I had this assignment, uh, and you're going to think it's funny that I had assignments like this in college, but the assignment was to preach a sermon uh, out of one of the minor prophets. How many of you had that assignment in college? Uh, I'm alone here. I kind of thought I might be. Uh, but I remember uh, saying, okay, uh, and I looked into some of the minor prophets, and I said, I'm going to preach out of Obadiah. Nobody ever preaches out of Obadiah. But in Obadiah chapter 1, verse 12, I'll show you this. The prophet is speaking to the nation of Israel. And he says, you should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune or rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. And I think about this and I realize something, that when the Steelers play today, uh, if, uh, Jen at least will be rooting for the Steelers, I can see. <laughs> but if you're a Steelers fan, you don't just root for the Steelers. You root for whoever is playing the Browns. You root for whoever is playing the Ravens, whoever is playing the Bengals, and whoever is playing the Patriots. Everybody roots for that team because you want to see the utter destruction of your rivals. In Obadiah, the prophet is speaking and he says, don't wish ill upon your enemies. Don't wish that your enemies would be uh, uh, destroyed. What Jesus does, now that alone is a challenge in and of itself, not to just wish bad upon your enemies. What Jesus does is he takes that and he elevates it into something completely new. He doesn't say don't wish, wish misfortune upon them. He says actually, love them. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who hate you. Now I want you to think about that for a moment and just let it sink in. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who, who hate you. Church, we are, um, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, we are rapidly accelerating to a place in our, in our culture where we will be put to the test in this. We are moving quickly to a place where we will be put to the test of are we loving our enemies, are we praying for those who persecute us, 
Are we, are we blessing those who hate us, doing good to them? Uh, already in our nation, uh, under the, the mantra of it's for your own good, churches are being shut down. Uh, pastors have been arrested over the last few months. Uh, churchgoers have been ticketed for going to church. Other churches have been told you can meet as long as you don't sing. Uh, one church in California, I don't know if you heard about this, pretty recently, uh, the city took out a thousand restraining orders against the church. They took it out in the name of John Doe, and they said the first thousand people to step foot in the church uh, are liable for fines and possible jail time. Uh, church, that's called persecution. Another church who chose to continue to meet uh, uh, a concerned citizen uh, just was doing their duty and went and burned the church to the ground. And they left them with this one note, let's see you meet now. That's called hate. When Jesus says these words, he says, uh, uh, you will be persecuted. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you. That's one of those promises that we don't exactly cling to. Uh, but church, it's, it's unfolding before our eyes. And we are going to be put to the test here with what Jesus is saying. What do you do when people hate you, when they persecute you, when they mock you, when they say that you're, you're a bunch of haters and, and bigots and they, and they throw this at you? And Jesus says, I'm, don't even wish misfortune on them. Actually love them and pray for them and do good to them. And I just think in my head, wow, I am not there. Church, this is a fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. By the way, just this is not in my notes, but it's kind of funny. So the, the church, the city takes out a thousand restraining orders, and a church a couple hours north heard about it, a megachurch. So they sent down over a thousand people to be the first ones in the doors of the church so that they would be the ones that got arrested and that everyone else could have church together. Uh, turned out no one was arrested because too many people showed up. They didn't have church inside because they couldn't fit anyone inside. Uh, the church has always grown under persecution, by the way. So uh, there were certain things that take place that don't, don't make sense in our, uh, our minds. That God is saying, no, this, I am, my goal is to grow my church. Sometimes it's not going to be easy and comfortable, but it's going to happen. But uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he kind of takes it actually a step further. If you want to put that up in... Uh, Matthew chapter 5. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then on down to verse 11, he says this to the disciples, to his followers. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then he says this, rejoice. He says, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I talked about how what Jesus did was he raised the bar and he elevated these principles of the Old Testament from love and from how we can live our lives. And he does the same thing. Did you know that Jesus 
Uh, he never actually talks about thankfulness. He never commands us to be thankful. But what Jesus does over and over and over is he says rejoice, rejoice. He takes that thankfulness and he elevates it. It was a command to be thankful in the Old Testament. Under Christ, he says raise it up a notch and take joy and be glad. Rejoice even in the midst of these circumstances that don't call for joy. I was telling Emily this morning when we're talking about persecution, said I talked about this a couple years ago about rejoicing in persecution. And it's amazing as I stand here this morning how much more relevant that message is than just two years ago. And by the way, we're just late to the party. Uh, in other nations, uh, they've seen far worse persecution for decades. They, they, they've been thrown in prison. They've been killed for their faith. I think about how many people will sit at their uh, tables on Thanksgiving and I don't know if you do that, go around the table and say something you're thankful for, but I'm betting that thousands of people this year will say, I'm thankful that 2020 is almost over. I'm betting that's going to be the number one thing for a lot of people. But biblically, church, we have so many reasons to be joyful, so many reasons to be thankful, to rejoice, to celebrate. Jesus never told the disciples, hey, rejoice when things are going your way. That's the moment to rejoice. Actually, Jesus said, uh, just continually rejoice, not even based on those circumstances. You know, we, we, Jesus said this in Luke 10. He said, uh, uh, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in your salvation. We can, we can sit here and we can pray for miracles, but we don't find joy based on whether the miracles happen. We can pray for, for provision, but we don't rejoice on the basis of whether or not it takes place. Our joy is not one or the other, depending on whether God provides or whether he blesses or whether he does miracles. Actually, you have enough reason to have joy simply based on the salvation that God has given you. He didn't like that part of the message, I don't think. <laughs> we talked about persecution. Jesus said, rejoice under persecution. Paul said, rejoice when others rejoice. And you wouldn't think that would be as hard as it is for some people. But we have so many Debbie Downers in our society that when someone else rejoices, you just throw stones at them. The Bible says rejoice with them. There are so many reasons, church, to rejoice. Mike, if you want to go ahead and come back up. Now, Paul, in fact, ends three of his letters with this command to rejoice. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says this. He says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then I love this next line. This is God's will for you. How many times have you ever said, I'm just searching for God's will for my life? I'm just looking for God's will for my life. How many people have you heard say, I wish I knew God's will for my life? Let me make it simple for you. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And I can tell you that as I stand here and I preach to you those words, it's a lot easier to preach than to live.
on that subject of prayer, I just want to... If you're married, if you have children, or I'll use that as if you have children, and you and your spouse, the only conversation you ever have is about your children, then that's not a very well-balanced marriage. If the only conversation you ever have is about sports, then there's no depth there. What I'm getting at, church, is when the Bible says to pray continually, if your prayer life looks exactly the same, it's your, your list of what God wants or what you want God to do for you today. It's not a well-balanced prayer life, church. Actually, when you pray, God wants to speak back to you. Prayer is conversational. And you know, when the Bible talks about rejoicing in all situations uh, and giving thanks in everything, and then it sticks that right in between it and says, pray always, that's because that's extremely important to being able to rejoice. Because if you are constantly in conversation with God, constantly uh, uh, talking to Him and, and allowing the Spirit to speak back to you, that's a, that's a key, church. If you want to go ahead and stand, I know it's a little short today, but that's okay. We're going to go watch the Browns get beat, and the Bengals get beat, and the Braves get beat, and the Patriots get beat, amen. Okay. I was thinking so much of what the Bible tells us. Our faith and what we're commanded in Scripture doesn't match our sight doesn't match what we're seeing. In other words, when we leave this place and we look around, we don't see all the reasons to rejoice. We don't see all the reasons to be thankful, to be grateful. But what Paul told the church was, it's simple. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. That's why we set our mind on the spiritual realities. It's even what Jesus said when he said, you find your, your source of joy in the simple knowledge that you have been plucked from plucked from the flames, the Bible says. That God has chosen you and called you. This church, there's a lot going on, but I can tell you we are blessed. I have a video I, I meant to bring in this morning, I didn't, but just of an un underground church in Bible who is risk or in uh, China who is risking their lives as they receive a package of Bibles. And they are in tears, and they are taking the Bibles, and they are just—they are smelling the pages on the Bible because it's life to them. And they're saying, "I needed this so much. I needed this so much." Church, if you are here this morning, can I tell you, you are blessed. There is so much reason for us to be known for our rejoicing, to be known for for just a spirit of thankfulness that we have. As we go into this week, I just I challenge you, don't be thankful because of the pilgrims or, or, or because America tells you that once a year you can be thankful. Be thankful because God has instituted this as a, a foundation to your faith that he wants you to be thankful. He wants you to be full of joy. The fruit of the Spirit of God in your life is joy. And I talked about it last week, this the peace of God. We can't be robbed of the peace of God if our focus is on the overcomer. 
Do you know you can't be robbed of your joy? You can't be robbed of, of, of your thankfulness if you're thankful for something eternal. Because whatever happens this week when you walk out those doors, they cannot pluck your salvation from you. And if your, your rejoicing is founded in your, your salvation, it can't be touched. I don't know what Mike's going to lead us in, but it's going to be amazing. I might say that. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.